Hi there, Liam here. Uh, just before we get into the main podcast, it's a little bit of an introduction as means of an apology. Uh, whilst recording this podcast, every, despite testing things beforehand and thinking everything was going smoothly, it wasn't until after the podcast was recorded, realised that my audio, the quality of it was absolutely appalling. We have a special guest on this podcast, um, Mark, from All of Time and Space, and of course my co-host Rob. Their side of things, everything was smooth, professional, and everything. Unfortunately, at my end, despite testing things and triple-checking and all the rest of it, actually during the recording, um, my laptop decided to record through the wrong microphone. We have made attempts of trying to improve the audio on my side. Uh, it's a lot more listenable to the raw quality, so we have made uh, we have improved things. I hope you still enjoy the podcast, but it's just to give you a heads up. Uh, apologies to both Mark and Rob, as well as you, the listener. Nonetheless, still hope you enjoy it. Thank you. The tide is close to Bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. Um, regular listeners will know I'm Liam, and I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hi, Liam. How are you doing? Here, here at the end. <laughs> yes, finally, finally, after over a year, it's been good planning this, we're finally coming to the end of season 18. You know what I can't believe? This is going out on my birthday. I was 34 when you started this mad journey, and now I'm 36. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. It's, uh... How long did you think season season 18 was going to take? Like just a couple of yeah, months. Yeah, a couple of months. And here we are. But anyway, enough about that. But anyway, happy birthday, Rob. But that's not important. No one gives a damn. Uh, it's a special podcast because, uh, well, we've reached the end of a bloody milestone. <laughs> but we also joined by uh, a really special guest. I'm really, uh, I'm so pleased he's able to join us. Uh, it's one half of All the Time in Space podcast, Mark. Hello. Mark, what are you doing here? How are you? Ah, uh, well, I just I thought I'd pop by, seeing as it's your birthday. I thought I'd give you an extra special treat, you lucky chap. Did you get sucked <laughs> through a CVE and just yeah, arrived here? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's been one hell of a journey, hasn't it? I thought it took us a long time to get through season three, but you guys, geez, what were you <laughs> thinking? Yeah, with an absolutely wonderful idea of not only will we review the televised, uh, televised stuff, we will also review the big Finnish audio. I mean, it did seem like a good idea at the time. Uh, uh, Rob, when, we did, when did we realise, or when did we <laughs> cocked up for this absolutely wonderful idea? Well, yeah, we started to do the maths, and we're thinking, <laughs> hang on, we're, we're going to have a break here, but we can't. I love the fact that you ended it with a seven-hour Matthew Waterhouse audiobook special. What other way could you possibly end it? <laughs> well, apart from today's story, of course. Yes, of course. In terms of the big finish, it's uh, what a way to end. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. 
but the, As a the listener, podcast yeah. or the uh, did you listen to the? Uh, I did. I'm a I'm a regular. I'm a subscriber. I love the show. It's great. Oh. Thanks, Mark. Um, so, Mark, what what do what do we class you as at the minute? Because are you just a guest from your show? Are you just a mate, or are you like on the staff? Because on the website, oh, you're, well, you're classed I mean, as a co-host um, of the show. I'm whatever you want me to be, Rob. What do you want him to be, Liam? <laughs> oh, well, be very careful about how you answer that. <laughs> Just some guy who regularly gets sucked in through a CVE. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for guest. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. You can get Harry, so, you know, you may do with, you know, a substitute. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is the end. But the moment's been prepared yeah, for it. So, yeah, yeah. I see what we did there. Um, so yeah, what, what you got to say about today, Liam? What's coming up? What's on the agenda? Right, okay, so uh, finally, uh, we've reached the, the interminable end of reviewing season 18. It's <laughs> It's been a journey. Um, so we're reviewing Logopolis, uh, which is not only the, the last story of season 18, but Tom Baker's final televised uh, story. Um, so I'll do uh, a plot synopsis, do the cast and crew, and then we'll get on to um, reviewing the story. Uh, just before we do that, Rob, because Rob, you uh, you come up with a, with a game for, for Mark and I to do. When would you like us to do that? Um, oh, uh, I don't know. I have to think. Oh. oh. We may as well do it now. So it's time to play Logo Polis. So it's a game where we look back at the criminal history of Doctor Who logos. Right. I want you to each... In turns, guess which logo is which. So today's contestants are Liam Hi. and Mark. Uh, I thought we'll do we'll do six rounds, um, and each of you has to try and like describe the logo to the other player in the best way best way okay. that you can without explicitly oh, saying which tricky, logo it is. Tricky. And the the other player has to mm. guess which season, doctor, year, brand, or Ooh. product, or whatever it belongs to. Okay, so Rob, okay. Uh, what's the prize if we win? Um, just honour, oh. general honour. I don't. I wasn't even sure if we were going to score this. I thought the listeners could just um, <laughs> guess who won. <laughs> but we're going to keep tally. I don't know. It's this sort of absolute wonderful planning which <laughs> which made us do the wave review season eighteen in the first place. <laughs> Um, right, okay, Rob, who goes first? Uh, Liam, you can go first. You can describe your logo to Mark. Um, no pressure, but, <laughs> yeah, try and describe it the best way you can. I'd say not really a logo, more text. Ooh, is that the Troughton one? Bingo, spot on. Oh. They're all text. It's, How did you get that? It's just like Times Roman, mm -hmm. isn't it? They haven't even bothered to try and, you know, make it look fancy. Okay. So, uh, Mark, what's yours? Nice. That's... Okay. Uh, hmm. It's a bit comic book. Is that the Jodie Whittaker logo? Oh, um, maybe you need another clue. Um, it's pretty terrible. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Is this the McCoy logo? Bingo! <laughs> yeah. He's, a good, he's a good at this. Okay. So round two. Over to you, Liam. Obviously, it's Doctor Who related, but think of an American brand of superstore. 
think more. No, struggling. Yeah, think more. <laughs> we need a tick and a clock. Think more merchandise. <laughs> oh. Um, maybe you could give them a clue. Is there any colours or shapes? Hmm. Yeah. Um, circular. Is it the neon logo? No. Um, yeah, it's, sorry, think, it's not, um, sorry, when I said think more merchandise, it's not actually, it's Doctor Who related, but it's oh. not a Doctor Who oh. televised logo. Oh my god, that's really Think outside there. the box. Hmm. Um, is it the Cloister Bell logo? <laughs> yeah, maybe we missed a branding opportunity here. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's not. Uh, no, I can't. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Uh, it's the Target Books logo. Ah, oh, what a goon! Should have got that straight away. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark. What an idiot. <laughs> so, um, back to you, Mark. What, uh, Ooh, what's your right. logo? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, what I would describe as the definitive Doctor Who logo. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's a very subjective thing to mm. say. Mm. Well, it comes down to, I think mm. it comes down to one of two options. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be associated with one Doctor. Yeah, but that doesn't narrow it down. Um, <laughs> is it the Diamond logo? It is the Diamond logo. Do we give him that? The, the OG, the original, yeah? I would say so, yeah. The, there's many diamond logos. Well, there, there. are. When we got the, the diamond anniversary diamond. Yeah. But no, this is the, the, the original. Uh, season 11 to season <laughs> 17 logo. Nice logo. Well done. Good job. So, Liam, you're in the lead. So, over to round three. What's your logo, Liam? This logo was released the year I became a fan. Oh. I'm going to say the McGann logo. No. Uh, celebratory. Oh, the 40th anniversary one? I'm older than you think. <laughs> <laughs> You're boyish. Um, oh. Massive clue, Mark. You're 10 years out. Ah, 30th. That's the one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's... Uh... Was it like a VHS one, mainly? That's oh, is I it like the diamond, from. but with the, the colours, the different colours? Yeah, that's the that one, one, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tend to think of that as the VHS one, yeah. My turn again? Your turn, Mark. Right. Uh, wow. I mean, this, oh, looks, <laughs> this looks like... What I would come up with, and I, I, my design skills are virtually zilch. Um, it looks like someone's best attempt to try and copy the Eccleston logo uh, with a very limited colour palette. It and, does. Um, I've never seen that until you yeah, mentioned it. Yeah. It's, wow. Inspired, you think? Yeah. It's mm. um, it's not going to be an obvious one because it's uh, it's from a spin-off rather than from the TV canon. Well, when you said that it's, you know, it looks like a logo, I, you know, we, you know uh, poorly designed. I was thinking it's got to be the Eccleston logo. <laughs> well, we're on the right lines, but yeah, similar shape, but it's not that one. 
What's the Torchwood logo look like? I can't for the life of me remember what... Is that just the word Torchwood? It's just the, the word Torchwood, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a T with hexagons. Oh, yes, that's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. not that. Not that. Uh, no. It looks like a Zeppelin, and uh, it's the, the colour palette is pretty boring. It's like a sort of mauve and black. Hmm. But think very much uh, 90s spin-off. I wonder if spin-off might be throwing them off with the title of it. Hmm, okay, well, um, hmm. Well, certainly not canon. I wouldn't say it's canon. It's being referenced as X. Wow. Well, mm. 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 um, well, I could say that um, someone who's been a, a guest star in the Jodie Whittaker era was involved in this particular production. Well, we think, um, is this like, sort of like the logo for downtime or something? You're getting, kind of starting to get into the right headspace. Um... Or, or, or snake down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds like a slightly dubious release. The specialist one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I have no clue. It's Death Comes to Time. Oh, yes. Yeah. The so one we don't speak of. Thing, yeah. I, I completely forgot about that. That's actually a really good description of it, though. It does, it, yeah, it does look a bit like a Zeppelin. I tried my best, but it was, a, it was a tricky one. Yeah. And it just kept going because they did the whole, um, what's it called, spin-off, didn't they? The what's the, it called uh, oh, the, the Ministry, the ministry oh, of Chance. Oh, yeah, Ministry yeah, of yeah, Chance, yeah. 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 Um, McGann and McCoy did that, yeah. Okay, so, so we're on to round... This is round, round four. four. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Mark. Um, this logo is very close to home. By which I mean your home. Oh. That's confusing. It doesn't take much to confuse me, and you have really thrown me for a loop there. Close to home. Mm. Rob's smiling. <laughs> This logo is more associated, uh, you know, it's very, it, it, it's a massive, look behind you. Ah, is it the Hall of Time and Space logo? <laughs> yes, it is. Rob, that's very naughty. Very naughty. <laughs> I thought you're never going to get very that. very apt that so I talked about how crap the design was for uh, the Death Comes to Time and how terrible my design skills are. That is uh, my, very good. my best effort. Well, actually, I mean, it is a decent logo, and if you think about it, it is very close to the uh, the 60th anniversary. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not far off, not far off. I almost wish ours was a bit like that. Mm. Mm. If only you were able to redesign it, Rob. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay, it's my turn next. Uh, I may possibly have already mentioned this one in my guesses for yours because my memory is like that of a goldfish, and I had forgotten that it was in my list. Of <laughs> okay. that, that definitely confused me. <laughs> Think anniversaries. That's all I'm going to say. Is this the one where the age is supposed to look like a fall? Yeah. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it. 
Yeah, it's the 40th anniversary. Mm. And we had a few of those stickers on the DVDs. Yeah, I remember uh, yeah. I got, the, I think it was probably the last Doctor Who VHS I ever got, uh, which was the Mutants. And they had a big, they oh, had yeah. a big shiny sticker on it. And I just, uh, I, I forgot the, the chap who designed that logo, but he said that, um, he, I remember coming across an interview and he said that he didn't think it was a particularly good design because everyone didn't actually realise that the H was supposed to look like a four. I think it's pretty oh, obvious. I thought, obvious. I thought that yeah. was pretty. No, see, I read that and I went, yeah, uh, it took me ages. I, I think he's doing himself a disservice <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit slow. I even kept the sticker. I'd cut, I'd cut round on the cellophane and put it in with the DVD. He threw the mutants away. Yeah. He just kept the sticker. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a bit, bit harsh. <laughs> okay, uh, so round five. Um, Over to you, Liam. Yeah. Two logos for the price of one. Uh, it's got to be the neon then. Oh neon no! Logo? I think. What? Because it's double exposed almost. Well, no, I was right. thinking because um, Tom had it for his last season, and then Peter ah. Davison had it. So it's not the neon logo. Two for the price of one. Oh, is it the original one where it's kind of uh, the howl around where it starts to stretch out Split. and go yeah. over itself. Again. I love the way you think of it. It's just, oh, it's, it's wonderful how your brain's working, but, but it's just, no, sorry, I probably should have explained it. Okay. Oh, it's God. two logos combined yeah. into one. My brain is just completely gone. I'm trying to think. That's confusing. Like, well, how would you two define logos? logo? Yeah, do you, do you hmm. think I'm describing this poorly, though? No, not poorly, maybe... You need some more hints. Yeah. Um... Hmm. To me, it, it it might imply the Doctor has a longer name than we thought. Does that make sense to you, Liam? I see where you're coming from, but I don't think that's helping. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> matte, metal matte metallic uh, lettering. Uh, the McGann. The McGann logo. That's metallic. No? No, no, not McGann. Not the McGann logo? Not oh, Jesus logo. Christ. Uh, no, I can't. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, Mark, if you think I've described this poorly, sorry. It's the Matt Smith logo, his first one. Oh, of course. What a goon. When we learned God, his I'm name was Dr. D.W. Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> right. I mean, that did throw me a bit because I was trying to, I, yeah, didn't get that at all. Yeah, no, very good. Okay, uh, I'm gonna. This is so easy now. Um, the Blu-ray collection. Uh, yeah, uh, Jodie Whittaker's logo. Correct. There you go. I really hope to go back on the words and just change it for the. Oh, movies. that's that would be the ultimate troll, wouldn't it? Jesus, can you imagine? There is a bit because even because I collect the Blu-ray box sets. There is a part of me that goes, "Yeah, I want them to do that. Just go back to yeah, the diamond." Yeah, Roy and Levine would explode, wouldn't he? If you're listening, please do it. Go on then, Liam. Hit me with your best shot. Final round. Right. Uh, easy one for you, Mark. Um, utter yes. crap. Oh. Uh, the Eccleston logo. There you are, Mark. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's terrible. It's like a taxi sign, isn't it? It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it looks worse spinning around on screen or on all the merchandise, I think I think it looks worse on the merchandise because at least when it's spinning around on the yeah. screen, it's 
you've still got all the other cool stuff that's happening in the title sequence <laughs> yeah, where it's on its own. It's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit, where mm. I thought, found it was most crap was what because I was buying all the books back then, and it just it was so repetitive. It made you just feel dizzy and sick because the whole spine was that big, long crap mm. logo. Right. Wow. Okay. Mine is my last one. Final one. It? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to start a bit vague and, and see if you... You'll probably get it straight away. Think distorted. Colin Baker's logo. Yeah, straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Rainbow Sparkles next, but uh, but you got there straight away. Well done. Just adding up the scores. I think Liam got... Liam Five got them out of all. Six. Yeah. No, no, hang on. I didn't get the death comes to time one. Yeah, you, you got five oh, out of yeah, six. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. And uh, Mark, you missed the target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see what Literally. did um, And you, did you get all of time and space? No. Well, I needed a bit of prompting, didn't I? But um, the fact did, it's oh, my, did... my background on this uh, video call is... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you didn't get the Doctor DW Who? No, no. Oh, it's five each. Oh, that's, isn't that nice? Yeah. That sounds fair. Yeah. <laughs> Liam's absolutely seething now. Anything to say about the history of logos? Does it need policing? There's been some good ones. There's been some not so good ones. I just love the fact that Mark just 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 describing what is utter crap. Knew exactly what it was. <laughs> Got it straight away, yeah. But slightly disappointed you didn't didn't have the Doc Oho uh, classic Hartnell. Oh. Well, I did have a few on my phone ready to upload, but uh, uh, I got to six rounds and I thought this could go on all yeah, night. Yeah, I'm not sure the listeners could stand much more excitement. I mean, it's wonderful <laughs> podcast material. <laughs> it really is. I hope you're going to put in some like exciting music underneath just to try and you know, liven it up a bit. <laughs> More of the bill. Oh, God. All, all the way through. Yeah, anything to actually uh, talk about Legopolis, it would seem. Mm. I mean, I, I can tell that you're both so desperate to, to stay in season 18, you just want to stretch it out for as long as possible. <laughs> I don't want it to end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a strange feeling watching it. Mm. And it was almost euphoric when the credits rolled on episode five. <laughs> But it had been stuck in the seasons for so long, I was kind of discovering themes that were kind of there. Mm-hmm. And it... We managed to make the whole of season 18 last almost as long as Tom Baker's entire time. <laughs> That's impressive. So I'll just do a, a plot synopsis of Logopolis, uh, which was supposed to be uh, quite short, but it's three paragraphs long, so I don't know. If... Okay, buckle up, everyone. Yeah, buckle up, everyone. So, the Doctor laments as the TARDIS is close to Tolls, a sign of impending doom. He decides to repair the ship's chameleon circuit and visits Earth, and whilst there, discovers his best enemy, the Master, has escaped from Trafen. The Doctor is warned of an impending ordeal by a mysterious ghostly figure, the Watcher. Whilst on Earth, a feisty young air hostess named Tegan Javanka mistakenly finds herself inside the TARDIS and ends up travelling with the Doctor and Adric to the planet Logopolis. The Master knows there is a secret that Logopolitans are hiding, and with his interference in trying to discover what it is, accidentally triggers the process of entropy eroding the entire universe which the Logopolitans have been holding back. 
The Doctor, along with the Master, travel back to Earth to use the Pharos project as a means to prevent the universe's destruction. The Master realises there is an opportunity of blackmail, but the Doctor foils his plan at the cost of his own life as he falls to his death from the telescope antenna of the Pharos project. The Watcher reappears, where it is revealed he was the Doctor, and so the Doctor regenerates into Peter Davison. Uh, casting crew, Tom Baker plays the Doctor, Matthew Waterhouse Hadrick, Sarah Sutton Missa, Jack Fielding Tegan, Anthony Amy the Master, Delore Whitman plays Anne Vanessa, Tom Jordson plays Detective, the Detective Inspector, Andrew Gibbs plays the Watcher, John Fraser plays the Monitor, and Peter Davison at the very end plays the Doctor. It was directed by Peter Grimway, written by Christopher Hamilton Bidney, and produced by Jonathan Turner. Is everyone still around? I haven't tested everyone's patience. Still here. <laughs> still here. Great. No, it's good. Um, Mark, I just, I just want to come to you first. Um, hmm. I'm making a huge assumption, and I hope I'm not insulting you when I say this. Did you watch, did you watch <laughs> Lopolis when it was originally brought Mark, you're old. <laughs> I did. I did. I turned eight during the, uh, the run of Lagopolis, yeah. So I watched this. I was... I'd started watching seriously in season 17. Uh, so Tom was very much my doctor. So it was kind of a mixture of big excitement because we knew it was going to be his last story, but also just incredibly sad because he was my hero. Oh. So, what, in terms of, so, so what's your earliest Doctor Who memory? Oh, I've got a few kind of, you know, you get like little snapshots. You don't perhaps remember the whole story or whatever. I I have vague memories of the power of Kroll. Just like little glimpses uh, of that. Uh, and uh, City of Death. I remember the chicken machine, as I call it, from that. Where Professor Kerensky falls into that and turns into a skeleton. That was uh, very memorable as a young kid. Uh, but the first one I remember watching from start to finish was the legendary Horns of Nymon. Ah, uh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. That is a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think, I think uh, you've hinted on your own podcast that you're quite a big fan of that story. I've never mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much every chance I get, I talk about The Horns of Nyman. Yeah, it's a great story. Very underrated. I feel it's had something of a reappraisal in recent years. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, years ago, I think the, the best review I ever heard, uh, I ever read about it was that it's it's good if you've done a good few glasses of wine, uh, which you know, <laughs> probably yeah. But uh, I do love the hunting moment. Yeah, if you if you take your Doctor Who very seriously, I don't think you're going to enjoy it very much. But if you if you like a bit of uh, a bit of fun, then I think you're in for a. A good couple of hours of entertainment. You know, and yeah, and it's it's got great life. You medicine I say. <laughs> yeah, it's got some really really good uh, sci-fi ideas in there as well. The whole retelling of the uh, the Minotaur story, and uh, it's all been updated. So you've now got this uh, futuristic maze, which is a, a computer circuit. It's all very clever. Yeah, yeah, and I think Tom Baker and Lana Ward in particular. I mean, Lana Ward. I think, you know that that final scene between her and Soldi. I mean, the fact that you know she, she really yeah. keeps some of the best hammiest overplaying ever, and you've got Lala Ward really keeping it straight. <laughs> it's it's it, you know, it's great. Oh yeah, 
she's great in that story. So the, the, the total shift between that season and season 18 is, is, is massive. Yeah, it was. Uh, I remember watching uh, the Leisure Hive and thinking, "Wow, everything's changed." You got the um, no more Deadly Dudley Simpson, R.I.P. You had a whole new title sequence. The Doctor is now wearing some sort of uniform rather than just a vague kind of mishmash of clothes he's picked out of the wardrobe. Um, yeah, it's all changed. What, what, do you remember what your reaction was? I mean, did you like that? Did you just go, yeah, this is... Yeah, I loved it at the time. I loved it at the time. I, now, looking back, because I'm old and curmudgeonly and rather set in my ways, as old people tend to be, I, you know, as I said before, the that uh, season 11 to season 17 intro is, for me, the definitive one. Uh, but I, I do have a soft spot for the neon version. And I think Peter Howell was on a hiding to nothing with being given the task of having to reinvent the theme tune. Obviously, you, I'm sure you guys are aware of uh, the oh, previous yeah, the attempt version. to uh, yeah. realise it using a synthesizer. Yeah, oh, God, that's terrible. Um, so I thought he did a really, really good stab at reinvigorating it and, uh, and making a new version. I really liked it. Yeah, I, well, I, for, for one thing, it has Delia Dobish's seal of approval because she, even the versions that she she later worked yeah. on, uh, which was just rejigging the original versions, she was never really that keen on, and she was very critical of later versions. But with the Peter Howell, uh, apparently, she, she she really liked that one. Yeah, the whole process is like amazing to watch as well. Yes, there's a really cool video um, that uh, I think BBC Archive put out where you see. Him going through the the process and showing you how he's mm. gradually built up it's really good. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. And from from what I understand as well, that just goes into a little bit of the detail. There's 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 a whole stuff of Peter Howell uh, playing with uh, the striking of a match and manipulating that sound and working that in, which uh, mm -hmm. isn't in the documentary. So it is a really good documentary on the special features, but it, even then they're just sort yeah. of like to scratches the surface of, of how much work you put in. It is it is impressive. Yeah, no, it's a uh, Logopolis is one of those stories that it's not necessarily indicative of of Tom's era as a whole, but I think it's it's a memorable story to go out on. Mm -hmm. And I, what I like about it is that they're tying up what has been like a season arc where you had all the business with the CVEs and that kind of stuff with the eSpace trilogy, and that's resolved with the explanation of what's been going on with Logopolis, and they're trying to put off the uh, the death of the universe by opening up these CVEs to try and delay it while they work out the answer. Yeah, I like that bit of continuity. Mm. Um, I, I also like the whole theme of entropy and age and how this yeah, relates to yeah. the Doctor's time and how they use the bell tolling. Mm. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it's very much about regeneration. It's about, mm. yeah, the story is very much about the regeneration. And it's the first use of the cloister bell. Mm. But no one cares about that. Um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. I, I don't know whether either of you agree, but I think that Logopolis is the very first Doctor Who story which really gives a tone and feel that 
at the, you know, the leading up to the Doctor's death. You know, the Tenth Planet, um, it, mm, you know, it's just yeah. a normal Doctor Who adventure, and then the Doctor just changes at the end. The War Games is this, you know, this epic mm -hmm. uh, Doctor Who story, and then you get the Time Lords in the, you know, in, in the very final episode. Maybe a little bit with Planet of the Spiders is the first time when they kind of go down that route, but it feels yeah. much more, um, we're celebrating the whole of the era. With, uh, especially with the second episode where it's just like oh, uh, John Pert was the action adventure type doctor let's just yeah. get in with all sorts of vehicles. 30 minute chase scene yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which goes nowhere <laughs> but it's a lot of fun um, yeah but uh, Logopolis from the off oh, from the moments we're in the first episode there's just something really somber about it it's very foreboding isn't it yeah and it, it doesn't matter what the, you know what the scene is we follow it through I mean you know, just the, I mean, the music helps an awful lot, but even just uh, starting off with a policeman on the roadway next to uh, yeah. a sign saying, please take your rubbish away, right next to a bin. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get that. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> take your rubbish home, but there's Do you a know, bin there. They got the idea of filming there, I'm sure you probably researched this, but they were they decided they'd try and film at the site of one of the last remaining police boxes um and they sent someone out to recce the location they couldn't find the police box anywhere it turned out they'd just recently demolished it so they ended up having to bring their own police box prop anyway so they had two <laughs> yeah which is a bit of a shame and apparently uh aunt vanessa uh delore uh the actress uh she decided that um they were driving to the location and she took a wrong turn so she started to go up the, the slip road to come off the motorway so instead of just going on and then turning off and coming back she decided just to start to reverse back down the slipway back onto the motorway <laughs> yeah uh... i've seen it done <laughs> oh god seen it or done it rob just seen yeah yeah thought about it <laughs> <laughs> i brought um i brought brought some photos with me liam because when i got the dvds out i totally forgot i had them all signed Oh wow! Also, who signed Logopolis? Is what good? So Logopolis, good day, Robert from Janet Fielding. Nice. To Robert Matthew Waterhouse, no love. <laughs> no. Yes, love. All right, cool. Um, Typical Adric. Best wishes from Sarah Stern. Again, fairly generic. Yeah, fairly generic, but uh, I don't think she was my friend that weekend. Oh dear. Uh, and we got uh, we got some group photos, Liam. Oh my goodness! This is going to work so well. Yeah, it is. So this was this was the first convention. That was quite oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember. That was good. Ah, wow. So for the listeners, this is um, convention that we went to in 2013, I think. Uh, it's a photo of Rob next to Janet yeah, Fielding. Yeah, very cool. Sarah Sutton and Matthew Waterhouse. Now I've noted that because Matt from Neither Time or the Space comments a lot on how tall Rob is. I've noticed they've had to cut off the top of his head to fit him in with all the other people in the, the shot. Which is a bit of a shame, but... Yeah. I know you're taller than me, aren't you, Liam? Yeah, yeah. Only a little bit. Yeah. How, Liam's the giant. <laughs> How tall are you, Rob? <laughs> uh, I'm six foot one. About average? What's average? Five nine? Maybe on the on the next video, we need to do a back-to-back. -back. <laughs> we'll get a, a, strange, a stranger to hold the camera. <laughs> yeah. Um... 
One thing that we uh, we see in this uh, this episode is a new bit of the TARDIS. Um, so we have the cloister room, with uh, with the Doctor mm. being all broody and um, talking about entropy increases and conversation with, uh, with with Adric, and we get some t- mentions of uh, Romana having just left, although it feels like a lifetime ago. What with the with the, the watchers. That was ages ago. <laughs> yeah. And I liked I liked the bit where he had to jettison her room. He kind of let him go of the past. I think they were they were alluding to it. it's a bit like trying to free up space on a computer yeah. by uh, deleting files that are no longer necessary. Yeah. So, uh, Something I never do actually. <laughs> so in terms of seeing a, a bit of the um, new bit of the TARDIS, what do we think of the uh, the, the TARDIS posters? Well, it had, it had a purpose in the in the story, which yeah. was nice. Obviously, showing the the state of decay with the entropy and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the Doctor's time. Um, but as a set piece, it, it was um, pretty nice seeing all the round doors, but the cloister arches and the, the vines and stuff. A nice mix up of like nature taking its toll on um, architecture. Mm. I thought it was really cool. Something that I wish they'd kept. Do we see it again? I don't think we do. Not do that we? version of it. I think uh, I've forgotten the. Mm. Is it Matthew Jacobs who wrote the the TV movie? Um, yeah. Because he, he he wrote uh, the Costa Room on his script, and then uh, at some point yeah. uh, he was told, uh, "Oh, it's this mammoth room," and he's just gone, "No, it's the cloisters. It's just uh, not anymore. It isn't." Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so he had it. It's sort of like similar to the sort of size that you see in Agopolis, but. The opposite of the definition of a cloister. <laughs> I seem to remember some concept artwork for one of Mark Gatiss's books was a Virgin New Adventure, but wasn't the Seventh Doctor in a in like a, a console room, but it was overgrown with plants and the columns had fallen. Oh, that's pretty cool. I see, it seems like something that's reminiscent. Yeah, I, know, I think it may have been in Birthright, but yeah, there, there was uh, there was. One of the new adventures, the Doctor has the tertiary, tertiary console room. room. That's it, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's. I think it, it's a it's a stone console, and it's all overgrown with trees and stuff. It's basically like a console in the middle of the field. I just think it's a nice idea. Um, and Mark, you mentioned, yeah, of course, uh, it, it introduces a very thing where uh, we prolonged the name for our own podcast. Um, is quite a, quite a neat idea. I think it's one of those things which is, I think it even surprised uh, Bitten, the writer, just how, how it became a, a constant ongoing thing in the new series. I think it's a nice bit of continuity. And it still, it works really well. They haven't had to, to change it up in any way. I think it's, yeah, it's mm. great. It got to the point where it was getting used every week, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're right. The cloister bell can get somewhat tiresome. Are you talking Not about as much as the <laughs> screwdriver. You can't like download the ringtone and stuff. But, oh yeah, yeah. this actually drives a bit more. But again, I, th- I think uh, it's the story introducing you know the, the, the tolling of the bell um, mm, yeah. of, of impending doom. Uh, a good, maybe obvious idea, but I don't mean that disparagingly. But you know, it's a good idea. But just given that slight Doctor Who twist. I think the the radiophonic workshop did a really good job at um, uh, producing the sound bit. How did they make it? Just dropping keys into pans and slow motion. <laughs> do do we know the origin of it? 
it was a it was a gong. And they submerged it in water to lessen the kind of reverberation effect, and then they played around with a scuba suit. (laughs) How is that possible? You can't even clap your hands underwater. We need we need to do that on on video, Liam. Try and gong underwater. Scientific experiment. They gong it out of the water, then they put it in the water. Oh right, okay. uh, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) glad you told us that. (laughs) We're gonna have to take you to Gong Academy, aren't we? Um, we're also introduced to uh, a new companion, um, Tegan, who's, a, who's really, really looking forward to starting her new job as an air hostess. Yeah, she's really chirpy and, and happy, yeah, yeah. isn't she? Yeah, yeah, and uh, some, some moments of levity at the beginning, you know, her and Vanessa giving her a lift to the airport, and uh, yeah. um, and then she's giving all this, this spill about, you know, keep your seat ba- uh, keep your uh, belts fastened to unseated and stuff. Um, just a couple yeah. of questions for, for both of you. Um, one is, what do you think of Tegan in general as a companion? And two, what do you think about her introduction? I love Tegan. I think she's brilliant. I think she is incredibly whiny, um, which, you know, could could get a bit grating. But I think uh, by the time we got to her last season, um, I was getting old enough to appreciate her in new ways and especially when they got rid of that horrible costume and she started wearing the uh, the mini skirts that was uh it must have absolutely stunk how long did you wear it for not as bad as adric jesus <laughs> his pajamas good lord <laughs> they could probably get up and walk out themselves she definitely didn't annoy me uh, i think my first time seeing her would have been castro valva okay um but no, I think she's great. She's yeah. fun. I love that yeah. scene where she finally finds her way back into the console room and she's like, I want to speak to whoever's in charge of this shit. Hilarious. And the doctor just kind of gives Adric the side eye. Like, oh, God, we've got to write yeah, one yeah, yeah, really good. It's such a shame we didn't get more of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you feel uh, Adric works with uh, the fourth doctor? I know some of my friends are like really love that sort of dynamic they've got, but... I think Tom, by this point, he's doing that thing, and it's very noticeable in this story where he very rarely looks at his other co-stars in the eye. And it kind of works for this story because he's very brooding and he's uh, obviously he's seen The Watcher, and, uh, I mean, that's a whole other new thing we'll go on to, I'm sure, at some point. But, you know, he's he's now brooding over what he now knows, and it kind of it pays off to a degree, but... There are times earlier in the season where like, him and Lala Ward just will not look at each other. And it is with Adric, it's a strange pairing of personalities because the mm. Doctor is intelligent and he's got this great wit, but then Adric's just a bit of a know-it-all. So I don't know <laughs> how would the Doctor respond to that. Yeah, they kind of set him up as this. You know, it's been said a million times. You know, he was the artful Dodger in outer space, and it. It lasted for all of one story and then didn't really carry on from there. And he just was this... I mean, as a kid, I really liked him. You know, you could identify with him because he was a, a young lad and you think, oh, God, yeah. Like a role model. Not necessarily a role model, but you're just like, you could imagine you could be you could be Adric. Do you have the pyjamas? No. I had the hair, though. You had the hair. Back in the day. Not anymore now, but... Those are the days. No, but you could imagine yourself as a kid going on adventures with a doctor, and that was great. 
Um, but yeah, by the time you got old enough to um, to watch it back with fresh eyes, he, um, it's the law of dimin- diminishing returns, isn't it? In the northeast, a lot of people seem to have tattoos of Adric Star. Do I've they? Noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't one of your breweries have it as well? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Seems like a massive fan. No, I've, I've never really had a, a, a problem with Adric. I've always liked the the character, and I think um, I mean I wouldn't say you know I wouldn't say he's my all time favorite companion, but I've never really had a, a problem with him. I think uh, Matthew Waterhouse get, gave a decent performance, but there are times mm. now where you watch it uh, a bit more critically, and I think he just needed a little bit more sort of coaching. You know, stop. You know, stop yeah. putting your hands in your pockets all the time. You know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But I don't watch it and go, oh, this is an absolutely crummy performance. I think, for yeah. me, the, the problem is uh, when you get to a story like Fall to Doomsday, where he mm. takes the, the side of uh, the villains in that story. He does it a few times, doesn't he? Because he does it in um, State of Decay as well. Yeah, he? but with, the, with State of Decay, you can kind of see where he's coming from. But with Thor to Doomsday, yeah. it's just clearly meant to be shot down by the Doctor. It's just yeah, being it's a prank. Yeah. Um, but I always thought that Adric works much better with Tom Baker's Doctor than with mm. uh, Peter Davison's. But I think that's probably a case of you know the, the overpowered TARDIS thing. Well, it soon became very apparent that they had to lose one of the companions and... Uh... Didn't take him very long to choose. <laughs> no, did no it? I didn't. Although interesting, <laughs> John Lee Turner wanted to get rid of Nyssa, and it was Peter Davison who really had to go. No, that, that's the one companion mm. who compliments my doctor. Uh, but she only stuck around for two more stories, and she's had a doctor. But you know. But yeah, she's she's introduced uh, because it, it all feels a bit kind of. I don't know. Seat of your pants, because John Nathan Turner really likes her in her first story and decides, because she was just going to be a one-off character, and then decides, oh, well, well let's bring her back. It, in the most bizarre way. Mm. Like, that pale dude brought me here. He's here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. and then... The Doctor's friend. Oh, you mean the Master? <laughs> it must be the Master. One, th- one thing that I really like about that scene is, uh, Adri- and I think Matthew Waterhouse does play this really rather well, Adric's sheer delight mm. that Nissa's there. Just the way he goes, Nissa! And just... <laughs> mm. Oh, that, that is quite nice. But yeah, she is reintroduced into the series in such a, a really odd way. I mean, it's mm. it's clearly a... You, you, you quickly skirt over it, but in that moment, it is very clearly just, um, oh, we have this one-off character, we really like her, and now we've got a shoe her in the back end of the series. Yeah. And it was a good opportunity to deal with the whole father-daughter dynamic mm. with the whole grief and the horror there. Yeah. But it wasn't dealt with for long. No. And didn't they, I'm sure, um, maybe I'm misremembering because I'm old and forgetful. Didn't I remember somewhere that uh, John Nathan Turner at one point approached Liz Slade and, and who else was it? He was looking at some of the old companions. Oh, uh, Louise Jameson. Yes, that's right. He was looking at one of them to come back as like a sort of interim companion so that people would have a familiar face because obviously Tom had been the Doctor for so long. There were so many of us that had grown up with him and we'd not known any other Doctors. So, But that didn't happen in the end. 
But we did get Canine and Company the following year, so that was good. Louise Jameson has has later said that she regretted not taking that opportunity up. Yeah. You know, I love Leela. I love Louise Jameson's performance, and obviously, same can be said for Elizabeth Sladen and Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah. But um, to be honest, I'm pleased that we didn't do that. Yeah, I I like that their story ends where it does. Although, and um, we do get to see them in. Uh or at least Louise Jameson in Dimensions in Time, so it's not, you know, not forever. An absolute classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't mentioned Anthony Ainley yet, have we? No, no, but I was just about to mention him. It's, <laughs> it's sort of funny. We, In terms of seeing him as the master, we see, because he gives a brilliant performance as Tremas in Keeper of Trachman, and at the end yeah. uh, we see him very briefly uh, turned mm. into the master. And the way that the first two episodes in particular sort of tease his reappearance we know that he's the master but we we see him through his actions we see him um uh with uh and vanessa's reaction she's Mm -hmm. uh clearly knows that uh, he's bad news and uh she gets killed and then we we hear his laughter Uh, and it's not until the third episode um where we really see him properly as as the master and by which time, you know, he, he's killed he's killed local politics and so on. I think to Yeah. I mean in a lot of ways it's sort of it's I know that we had the master with Jeffrey Beavers in the Keeper Chopping, but in a lot of ways this is this is reintroducing the master. And I think as a means of intro, reintroducing him, I think it's it's very effective because we see we see him through these awful things that he's doing and then we see him in person. What do you think? Mm. I was a kid at the time, uh, I was aware of the master and I'd seen photos of Roger Delgado, but I'd not seen any of the those stories because you didn't really get many repeats back in the day. Uh, so I just thought, well, this must be what Roger Delgado is like. Evil guy with a beard. Yeah, that's the master. And you just accepted him as the master. Yeah. I don't think he's all that bad. I, he, I think he got a lot of stick at times, but I... Yeah, I think he's very good in this. And what I like as well is that when, when we do finally see him in the third episode, they still hold back him encountering the Doctor. And we see it, it's really through his interactions yeah. with, with Missa. Mm-hmm. We know what's been going on, but the fact that um, Missa has those moments with the Master still thinking that he's her father and he's going along with us. And she even you know, comments that, you know, look younger but so cold. I mean, I love, I love those, mm. you know, those moments. I think they're very effective. He's coming back with a bang, really, isn't he? He's, uh, he's killed off her dad. He's killed off her stepmother. He's destroyed her planet and the galaxy that it, it was in. Um, and just the top, it always trying to destroy the universe, although I don't think he's meaning to destroy the universe. But it's a, it's a weird plan. I mean, I, it's not particularly unusual for the master to come up with a complete crazy ass plan but it's it doesn't make an awful lot of sense yeah i don't fully understand what's going on <laughs> actually so, sorry i'm back i'm going to backtrack a little bit it's um because there's one thing that i forgot to mention with uh, with regards to tegan which i think is a really neat idea so she um hmm. uh, she accidentally goes into the TARDIS thinking it's a police box and then one of the things that this story does, which I don't think's really been done before or since, is actually looking at 
Because when we look at the TARDIS as being bigger on the inside than the out, it's always been, oh, this is absolutely wonderful mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's magical, it's fantastic and it's wonderful. But with Tegan, uh, Hamilton Bidney sort of flips that and actually looks mm. at how terrifying actually all it is. And it sets it up a bit more with the business with the Doctor and Adric before she comes in, where they're sort of going into that sort of regression of going into the, the TARDIS and into the TARDIS, and it gets darker and darker as you go into each one. So it sets up that kind of sense of something not being right. And that's just... Place I love beautifully that into visual. It's like mm. they're getting deeper and deeper into it. Yeah, it's such a simple effect, but it works so well. Yeah, because you know, logistically, all what they've done is got the same set, but we're just changing the lighting. But it's still. Mm. Oh, now you're ruining oh, it. Oh, sorry, everyone. <laughs> but it's still it's still really effective. Uh, I, when when you're watching it, I think you um, you're really engaged in it and mm. really reveling in the atmosphere of it. Um, but there's a bit when. Uh, they realise that the Masters are running a mark inside the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. so the Doctor comes up with this idea of, of how to to, um, to get rid of them, which is by landing the TARDIS under the Thames and flooding the TARDIS out. Uh, yeah. That idea is coming for a lot of flack. What do you mm. think? I mean, it just goes to show that the Master isn't the only one with banana pants crazy ideas, is he? So. But I love there's been inter interviews where uh, Bidney has been sort of like defending the idea. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of see where he's coming from, but even then, with him defending his own idea that is written into <laughs> the story, it, even he's just. <laughs> but it does another thing. If if you if you've got someone, you know, uh, inside your uh, time space machine, and you don't know where they are because the thing's absolutely massive, and you want to get rid of them. How how would you do it? Is there enough water in the Thames to fill it? That's a very good point. Why didn't he land it in the ocean? Would have dried up the world. Mm. But then you wouldn't be able to do the visual gag of, oh, we haven't landed under the tent. <laughs> We've landed on the pier next to the tent. During the, uh, the first uh, two episodes, um, we have... Uh, 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 Peter Davison always says that we jokingly call this character the lurker. He always sticks with me. Uh, but he's called the watcher, but I do think the lurker is a much better right. So we've got this, this ghostly figure called the lurker. And then in the second episode... Uh, he actually has a. The doctor actually has a conversation with him. We don't hear the conversation, but we hear. We have a scene later on in the TARDIS with Tom Baker recounting sort of what was said about, um, you know, being prepared for the worst. Do you think that was a vocal conversation because Adric has a bit of a chat with him, and he refuses to kind of explain what was said. So I don't know. If it, is it like a telepathic thing, or he just kind of get the gist, or is he? Having a proper chat. I just, I just think he didn't want to speak to Adric. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you little shit! I've just found out I'm about to die. Let's talk about something else. I'll buy that. <laughs> Is the watcher something that like doesn't make sense and bugs you, or do you are you fine with it? All? I, go, I could just go along with it, to be honest. I think it's fine. Fits in with the story. Yeah. Yeah, it does, and I think it's, uh, I think it's. I go along with it. I think it's a, it's a good idea. I think, um, again, Bidmead is, is sort of, I think he said two things in relation to the idea, which was, if, if, if you're a species who regenerates, your experience of regenerating and becoming someone else, especially if it's related to time travel and so on, your experiences of that is going to be different to how people view it. So I think he was kind of exploring the idea of regeneration from the Doctors. Like a non-linear point mm. of view kind of thing. But yeah. also the idea is that because the whole universe is in jeopardy, 
um, there's a bit of the, the potential future in, impinging on the present, and that's what the Watcher mm -hmm. is. A possible future yeah. version of the Doctor impinging mm -hmm. on the present. Which I, I think makes sense, and I think is a neat idea. But again, just having this, this ghostly figure <laughs> lurking through the story, um, I think is quite nice. Mm. Yeah. What I didn't quite buy is when Nissa's like, oh... That was the doctor all this time, and we're still kind of scratching our heads. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did how did she know that in that moment? We'll come on to that because, but I do feel that is one moment which ruins the regeneration a bit. But we'll get we'll get <laughs> into that. Um, yeah. So leaping ahead uh, with to episode three, um, as I said, you know, we've got that moment. We've got two moments, which moments of themselves I think are quite effective, but. It's one of those, I think, um, modern Doctor Who would do completely differently. We get the scene when Tegan realises her Aunt Vanessa is dead. We got a little cry. That's sad. Tom just gives her a little pat on the shoulder and that's it, really. There's no... That's... That's your lot. Sorry, Tegan. It's sort of interesting that Aunt Vanessa does get mentioned in future Doctor Who stories with, uh, with Peter Davison as the Doctor. So that they do make mm. that effort of that that little bit of continuity. I think she's definitely mentioned in the long term. Yeah. So th there are these sort of elements of, I mean, I disagree with old doc. You know, when old people have described old Doctor Who as being completely unemotional, I disagree with that. And I think Rob and I have discussed this on a previous podcast mm. when we gave examples of, of when it has been generally emotional. But um, I think yeah. what what it doesn't do is which modern Doctor Who does and television does in general, which is actually, you know, have moments where they focus on those. Yeah, it's few it's few and far between, isn't it, in the uh, in the classic series. The new era has a bit of a stigma of being spoon fed emotion with music, I guess. <laughs> maybe in ret in retrospect people people maybe feel that the classic stuff feels a bit dry because it doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't feel that way. Uh, speaking of Aunt Vanessa, she got a name drop in The Power of the Doctor. Oh, yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. Well. Yes, that's right. When yeah, Sasha, yeah, Sasha yeah. Dewan's like, how's your Aunt Vanessa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a bitch. Yeah, because obviously Tegan was uh, Australian because John Nathan Turner was hoping to get some sort of co-funding from the ABC. And uh, he tries it again later with uh, Nicola Bryant's casting as Perry. But I'm not sure if that actually came to anything or not. No, no, I, I, don't, I don't think it did. Oh, I think right. it was, uh, you know, it was a potential idea yeah. originally, especially because you know you, you've written an Australian character and you've got an Australian to play that. Yeah. Rather than later on, oh, we've written an American companion. Now I know we'll get a British actor to uh, to just pointlessly be American. <laughs> but she lied, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a. I think it's on Colin Baker's first season uh, on the Blu-ray box yeah, set. Matthew yeah. Sweet interviews her. Have you seen this, Mark? Yes, I have. Yeah. I had no idea how <laughs> just how insane that situation got. Because it's I just mad, thought, though, it was, isn't it? It's like a farce. You know, you get talked into this situation, then you you can't. You've got to keep going. You've you've committed. Yeah. So it reminds me of when I I used to work in hospitality, and one of these delivery drivers who would come and bring all the fresh meat. He thought my name was John, and I just went with it. <laughs> and this went on for years, and I thought I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't correct him now. It's a random story just kind of reminded me of falling into a trap like that. 
But yeah, it was just that because I just uh, thought that um, Nicola Bryan had been announced, pretend pretended she was American during the initial press announcement, and then that was it. It was just the button about. I had no idea that she ended up basically having. Oh no! Her no, she was doing interviews on TV and all sorts. Yeah. How do you Very think strange. she felt about that? Like loads of anxiety and. I must have been awful. Worry. Yeah. Because she was fresh out of um, acting school, wasn't she? So you can understand she was keen to to get a, a plum part like that. But yeah, it must have been quite stressful, I would imagine. And then getting strangled by Colin Baker. I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to talk about the Twins 11. <laughs> so uh, I think episode three, apart from the regeneration, uh, I think probably has the best cliffhanger um, to this story. Oh, is this the little coalition with them? Yeah, 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 the handshake. And again, he can't even look Anthony Ainley in the face. But I think it kind of works. It kind of works because he's so disgusted at the thought of having to, you know, team up with the master. Because I think the in the first episode when it's between him and Adric and they're in the cloister room, Christopher Hammond a bit between, I think, is you know being interviewed in the making of documentary, and he does comment on Tom Baker's performance and how he doesn't look Adric mm. in the eye, and he thinks that. It's a shame that Tom Baker decides to play the scene that way. Um, I see where he's coming from, but at the same time, I, I think it sort of works. It's like what you were saying there, Mark. Yeah. It, it matches with um, with how the Doctor's feeling and so on. Uh, but yeah, yeah, especially in this uh, in that moment when he's you know the stakes are that high, he's having to make a deal with um, not only his, you know one of his worst enemies, but someone who's been um, Sorry. Uh, someone who, uh, through the course of the story, has been shown to be utterly evil and despicable. And it's not, you know, totally out of character for the Fourth Doctor in particularly season 18. Um, there's odd little sort of flourishes of humour, but it's a much more, I find it anyway, a much more um, sombre performance right the way through. And he's obviously been told to cut down on the, the humour. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There are there are stories I like in season eighteen. Uh, this this is a good story. Uh, I like Warriors Gate as well, which is a, a bit of a divisive one. Some people love it, some people not so much. But yeah, I just I don't know. Um, when you say this is a good story, what are like, the hallmarks of Legopolis? You, you don't just mean the end scene, do you? Um, I suppose it's there's a lot of nostalgia in this for me because I'm of an age that I, I watched it go out. And, uh, yeah, I think it's it rattles along at a fair pace. And although some of it is a little bit nonsensical, like we were saying about the Master's plan, you know, it's an exciting story and it's a, a fitting end for a great Doctor. So with the Master's plan and everything going a bit bonkers, like with the whole thing of uh, Logopolis yeah. and there was... Um, like about thermodynamics of mm-hmm. entropy in a contained system. Yeah. Um, entropy being how order can turn to chaos and things can decay. Yeah. And like the natural order of things. Um, and they use CVEs to make breaches into the universe to kind of slow down entropy. Yeah. Then when the Legopolis goes, entropy kind of speeds up. Mm-hmm. Is that fixed? What's going on? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure by the end. It, yeah, it gets a bit confusing. Did a lot of the universe just get wiped out? I think and just so, not, yeah. And not, yeah, and that's yeah. it. Okay, fair enough. 
I didn't know if things had snapped back at some point or I I I did think it was um very fortunate that uh the people of Legopolis modeled their um their hopes of uh automating this process exactly to the uh, the Pharos project thus saving having to have more than one set you literally mm. just change the background out and and there you go so that's a, a nice little money saving uh, bit of uh, entertainment there unfortunately with the blu-ray you do notice those painted backgrounds a bit more which is you know oh yeah i especially love the bit where anthony only plays statues at the end when he's all pixelated <laughs> yeah Did, have you watched the um with the new effects no yeah i watched it uh with the original effects but they yeah it's I think it's cool when it's done well. Have you seen it, Liam? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, the, the original special effects, I've, um, I've always kind of enjoyed it. It's never taken me out of, of the moment. No. But the updated CGI effects, I am impressed with them, and it just sells mm. the moment a lot better. So, uh, so Robert, because I don't think you've seen it, so that there's moments where um, you, know, you were talking about you know, the pixelated image of Anthony Amy, that's been completely cleaned up. And they've used it where they, they make him look like he's you know, moving his hand and his face a little bit. It's still a bit sort of like Roby if you really <laughs> focus on it, but, um, <laughs> but actually, you know, it, it, it does sell it a lot more. And um, I do think it looks a lot better. They've also got some drone shots of uh, the, uh, the dish, so you're less reliant on the model work, which I thought worked, worked perfectly okay for its time. See, I don't think they really need updating. I think it's just a fun addition to. Uh, and yeah. and the, the, they to also the did some um, additional shots to, to work it in. So it looks rather than sort of like this little puppet dangling on a string, they actually got mm. uh, a person to sort of like double for Tom Bacon. It looks like he's exactly yeah. swinging from it, which was recorded in the University of Sunderland. Wow. Brilliant. So something good came out of a shithole. No. Uh, Whoa. No, so you know, from Newcastle, I just had to do that obvious thing. There's nothing wrong with Sunderland, actually. Actually, just having something. He's shaking his head as he says that, listeners. <laughs> no, I just think it's really neat, actually, because uh, if you watch it with a CGI um, uh, special effect, um, the, when the, when they roll the credits at the end, they they, they credit mm. everyone involved with those, and it's just quite nice to have something from the northeast of England linked in with. With, uh, with Doctor Who, so they thank the University of Sunderland. It's quite nice. Does the Northeast um, have much history with Doctor Who? Do you know either of you? Because I'd love to go on a spotter's guide around. Well, the I mean, the, the obvious the one is uh, the Mark of the Rani with all those uh, incredibly accurate Northeast accents. Well, we before lockdown we planned on doing this whole big what orby big uh cloisterbell roadshow and going to the george stevenson museum and nice. going to the whole place where the old mining village was yeah which none of it was filmed at but you know we've got it yeah. here maybe we'll do that i think the time i think the time meddler is obviously wasn't recorded up here but i think time mouse priory yes doctor who magazine kind of mm. pinpointed that down because we've got a bit, we've got this really old. So yeah, we've got this uh, this coastal uh, ruin of a of, of a castle, and a uh, and a monastery, um, up in Time Med, and uh, Time Medlar was was set there. Yeah, I don't think intentionally, but um, it's the only place it could have been. No, but geographically, 
Yeah, it could have been. It is. We'll just. It's a fact. Yeah, it is. Yeah, of course it is. You're going to claim it. Because we've got nothing else Doctor Who related to fear. See, I've, I've never went there during the day. I've only snuck in at night. Because you have to pay to get in. I've done some videos of going over the walls when I was a teenager and ha- ducking and hiding from the spotlights. It's really, really high. It's like obviously these walls are built to stop marauders and armies and things. But they can't stop the Geordies. Can't stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a big moat around it as Once well. Once you've had a couple oh, of bottles of Newcastle cool. Brown Ale, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're good to go. So uh, where are we up to, Liam? Are we on to part four entirely? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're on to episode four. So the whole thing is now that uh, entropy is spreading throughout the entire universe. Nyssa has just seen uh, her planet destroyed. Which again, I think, is a, is a nice little scene, which Sarah Sutton plays uh, really well. Just taking that moment where she's talking mm-hmm. about how the mar- master's killed her mother. It's like what you were saying, Mark, and you were just hearing Nissa um, yeah, yeah. talk about this, and now how he's destroyed the world that she grew up in. Anyway, enough of that. We've had that nice emotional moment, and now crack on with the adventure. <laughs> um, so so now... So, so actually, Mark, I mean, just going back to it, do you remember vividly watching this episode? Yeah, very much so, yeah. yeah. What was your feelings about it, You know, knowing that you were building up to the end? Oh, it was, it was really exciting, because you knew this was going to be his last episode and they'd been kind of trailing it on BBC in the week. Um, so, yeah, it was just incredibly exciting because I'd not seen a regeneration before. So this was this was a big thing. And, I, you know, I knew that there had been previous doctors. Um, so I knew about the, the theory, but this was going to be the first one that I saw. So it was, yeah, it's very exciting. Christopher Bidmead wasn't fond of them using the clips from the old episodes, but I thought I really liked that. Were they fixed for the uh, remaster? Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. So yeah. they still use the same clips because I know that there's an updated version of Modern and Dead which used uh, clips from previous stories, and then for an updated edition of it, you've still got the original transmitted version, but they ended up updating some of the clips for that. Where I'm watching it, just going, "This is just wrong. What are you doing?" <laughs> they're still good clips though but it, it just it, yeah but they, they use the same ones uh, but going with that because it's funny yeah you, you're right Mark uh, Bidney didn't want them to use the clips and um, on one of the special features on Blu-ray is you've got the, the studio recording of them doing the regeneration scene uh, which is 20 minutes I don't know whether you've watched it yes a long time ago now but um, it's I think uh, Janet Fielding had said in the in the making of documentary it was a a very tense production, uh, and it's it's weird because you see Tom sort of laughing and joking during the sort of build up to filming the scene, but then he loses his shit because somebody asked him to beckon the watcher. But I don't want. I don't like a beckon. Nobody said anything about a beckon. All right, Tom. Just wave your hand. That's all they're asking. <laughs> yeah, you do get that, that sense of that it was really tense. But uh, what's interesting yeah. uh, from the, the point of view of how, how the scene could have been done differently is you see that there are moments when they, they check uh, the Doctor's pulse and clearly doesn't have it and Tegan rests, his, uh, hand, uh, rests the Doctor's hand after she's checked. And there are a couple of shots where you see Tom... Mm. Um, you know, uh, his eyes are glazed over, and he's, he's um, 
you know, it's completely still, and it's it's a you know it's made perfectly clear that the doctor yeah. has died. Um, sort of similar mm. in, a, in some respects to the death of Pope's doctor in Planet of the Spiders. You know, uh, there's no cause he has died. Yeah. And then the presence of the the Watcher gives him the power to go. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for, and then there's that merging with the, uh, the Watcher and so. Mm -hmm. So there is a part of me I do like yeah. the clips. Um, and I do think they use effectively, and there is that that moment of television that this incredibly popular actor, who's massively popularised this character, has been playing the part for seven years. Yeah, we're going to comment on that, and I do think it's mm -hmm. effectively. But there is a part of me that goes if they hadn't used it, sell the drama a little bit more in terms of the story. I don't know. Yeah, I think Bidmead's problem was that it fe he felt like it was taking you out of the the drama and making you realize you're watching a tv show because you're seeing clips from an old tv show mm. i mean they do a similar thing in a slightly more dramatic and probably slightly more satisfying way in uh davison's regeneration don't they they kind of go for the sort of day in the life crescendo thing with uh they really go to town because they've got all the the faces spinning around him as he's about to to peg out do you think that really does pull you out the drama? Because like modern storytelling, we're used to clips and flashbacks. Yeah, I don't know. I th I'm I'm okay with it. Um, it'd be interesting to to think what someone who has grown up with the modern series would think looking back at it if they'd not seen much of the the classic series. Whether they'd uh, but say that say that they? you were given the choice of doing it as it was originally broadcast, doing the option that effectively bid me would have preferred what did it what what would you which way would you go i think i'm i'm happy with what they did i think it's um it's fitting because as you say he was in the role for so long and uh for, for some people they would have seen the whole the whole tenure so it's it's nice for them to to see that back yeah i think keep the lot i think if there's anything i would cut is maybe the villains and just keep the companions yeah. in. Okay. The flashbacks. I, I, I love the, the, the villains. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just yeah. going back, because we hinted at before, the, 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 the bit that I'm not sort of keen on is um, the bit when they have to go, oh, we, we really have to speak for the audience so they know who the Watcher was. And we have Mrs. Overdub line, he was the Doctor all the time. It does... Mm. I'm not keen on it. I, I don't, like, hate it. Um, but I'm not keen on it. I think uh, what is slightly more fantastical is the thought that Tom Baker can lurch out of a, a doorway and onto a gantry and tie his scarf across the gantry in a mere like microsecond so that Anthony Ainsley can very convincingly trip over it. Yeah, I think in the past I've kind of felt like it was a, not the most heroic way to go out, but I think it works. In the context of the story, I think it's okay. Mm. How do you would you rather have seen him go in a slightly more dramatic way, or do you think? Yeah, it, I've always thought it was dramatic. I've always, I've always liked it. It was dramatic. Um, the the use of the camera angles, the, the build up, the gantry, um, the antenna turning over. Mm -hmm. I love the music in the story. Oh, it's great! Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think one of my all time favorite music cues is this whole build up of. 
when the Doctor's on the gantry, the mask looking on, the Doctor falling, and then the whole music during the regeneration, I think is... Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the music throughout the entire story, but... Um, and the way it resolves at the end when Peter Davison sits up and you get that little bit of the, the theme. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he knows he's going to his death. Of course, it's been like mm-hmm. foreshadowed by the Watcher. But yeah, it's really, it's really nice. And the whole music when the camera pans down to him very slowly. So just, uh, just, just going back to, to an earlier point. Mm. Um, so in terms of like the, the dramatic moments of you know, the, the leading up to the Doctor's regeneration, I mean, I've always liked it in kind of dramatic and black cover for it, but... Uh-huh. Are you disappointed by it, or think it could have been done better? Well, I think as a kid, I really enjoyed it, and then obviously as a teenager, you tend to be a bit sort of uh, snarky about stuff like that. So probably for a while, I thought, oh, that's a bit naff. But uh, now I've come round full circle. Eh? Now I'm fine yeah. with it. You mentioned maybe it could have been more dramatic. How much more dramatic could well, it? I don't know. Been, I like mean, jumping out of a plane and <laughs> arm wrestling Anthony in midair, or what? Well, I worked for David Tennant. If you were to raise the stakes, what would it be? I don't know. I think um, Peter Davison's swan song was, you know, apart from a, a not necessarily brilliantly realised monster, uh, that was just phenomenal. Just from from word go, he's just you know he's up against it, and it's just. But then you couldn't do that every week, although they tried to with season 22. Uh, I just, yeah, I don't know. Because he was such a, a long-serving doctor, he just, I think whatever they'd done, it would never have been enough. But but it feels um, appropriate with Peter Davison's doctor. I totally agree with what you're saying, but with Caves mm. of Androzani, it feels very appropriate that Peter Davison's doctor ends by saving a single one. Mm-hmm. With Tom Baker, it feels appropriate for him to save the entire universe. Although he lost half of it, but oh god, everyone's a critic, aren't they? Jeez. Yeah, it's it's an unusual, an unusual one as well. Because even though you got that simplistic thing of the universe is in jeopardy and the Doctor saves it at the cost of his own life, mm-hmm. which is a great, exciting thing to do. But I think Christopher uh, Albert he does, he does something a little bit, well, he does something incredibly atmospheric with it and a little bit poetical, and I like that idea of um, the power of mathematics and being able to mo- model space-time events around the, you know, the power of numbers and things like that. I, just mm-hmm. think it's nice. I love the televised story. Funny enough, I think possibly my favourite version of the story uh, is um, Bidmeet himself actually reading out his target novelisation, which you can buy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really recommend that. I think because he's reading his own prose uh, of how he yeah. novelised the story, which he did incredibly well. Um, but he also tells the story in a really, really engaging way. Um, and I remember uh, I listened to it years ago, and on the basis of that, I then went to buy um, Castrovalva, which was Peter Davison reading the target novelisation of it. And I know it's really odd, considering you know, Peter Davison's this really, really good actor. I just thought his... It wasn't as good as Big Me to write reading his own story, which surprised me. So, um, uh, if anyone has the opportunity to read uh, to, to listen to Big Me reading the t- his target novelisation of it, I definitely recommend that. Yeah, he does seem to be a very big fan of his own work, doesn't he, Chris Big Me? That is get true. That impression. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's not lacking in confidence. No, certainly not. Um, 
I, I quite enjoy the, the slightly different tone of season 18 looking back at it now. I think he was on a mission to make it a bit more sciencey. I don't know if it always paid off, but I don't know. I just feel like the fun factor went a little bit in season 18. There are, like I said before, there's little flourishes. You still get bits of uh, fun and, and, you know, funny dialogue. And But, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's fitting, really, if it's his last season. It's going to be a bit more serious and sombre. And... So, yeah, it's good. No, I think, uh, yeah, th- thanks for that, Mark. I think that's a really good summing up of season 18. It, uh, it kind of, like, completely uh, destroys the figures of what we've been doing uh, for well over a year. Rob, uh, just in terms of uh, summing up not only the Regopolis, but season 18 and trying to keep it as brief as possible before um, doing another 10 podcasts on it, um, what do you think of <laughs> season 18? It's a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> no, it's... Um... I have no idea. There's no context. I just, I just don't know. It's been such a, such a long journey. Oh, for you guys, it must be so hard stories. to get a handle on it because you've gone, you know, into all these offshoot stories, and it's you know it's this huge thing. So it must be hard these to kind of. These big finished stories have blurred into one mm-hmm. with these mole people and all sorts going on. Yeah, it's it's. I can't distinguish between them. It's now. funny. I would say season eighteen is probably one of the most distinctive seasons of televised Doctor Who there is. Um, it's, yeah. it's very unique. Um, it has an atmosphere and a tone and feel of us completely uncomparable to any other period of the show. Mm-hmm. Getting the big finish audio adventures and how they just sort of blank just blur into one another. It, it has been really <laughs> weird. There are some like uh, the silent scream, which was set during a uh, silent era of Hollywood, which that's mm. the one that really sticks in my head more than any of the others. Um, yeah. But the rest. Yeah, some of them took like good concepts and had a good run with them. But, but yeah, it, it's not it's not the best pedigree of, of big finish I've, I've, I've listened to. Um, so there's some nice moments, but some stories are, yeah. And as a result of that, I can actually fully enough completely separate uh, the big finish stuff from the televised series. So it makes it easy. Okay. Um, yeah. I do like season eighteen. I remember uh, when I was younger, absolutely loving it, and it being. I probably rated very highly. I still like it, but not as much as I used to. Um, I still think it's got you know, really good stories in there. I really like State of Decay, Warriors Gate, like you, Mark. I really, really like that. Um, yeah. Keeper of Trapping, I love. And Logopolis is a good mm. story. I think probably Keeper of Trapping is my favourite story of the season. Um, but I do, I do like it an awful lot. But in terms of Tom Baker's run. Um, I think, it, funny enough, I think I'm more of a fan of when Graham Williams was producer. Um, which yeah. get, it's the correct um, answer. <laughs> um, particularly <laughs> the key to time season. That's one of my all-time favourites. I love that. Yeah. I think we might be in a minority here, Liam, but yeah, I love the key to time season. Yeah, yeah I, I think we are, but it's uh, it, it, it's everyone else who's wrong, Mark. <laughs> um, and I, I know that for a lot of people, season 17 is not the best pedigree, but you've got Douglas Adams script editing the series which I just think is yeah. wonderful and you get some you know City of Death people rate really highly and understandably Haunted Nyamon is just a great ride I have a soft spot for Nightmare of Eden I really like Creature from the Pit I think yes, that's a really good story yes that is really good and not just, it's got great production values 
Um, so mm, yeah, there's a lot yeah. to be said. And then you get season 18, which is sort of like the complete polar opposite of that. I think I probably... Mm-hmm. Season 18 probably has some of my all-time favourite stories in it, but as a whole, I think I probably prefer the previous season because it's a lot more fun. Yeah, I think it's got more standout stories than some of the previous seasons, like more stories that I identify with that I've seen more. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to the big finish stuff, I was really underwhelmed, I, th- I think, because... <laughs> I, I used to love the monthly stuff from Big Finish uh, and the McGann stuff, like the whole continuity and the writing of that. I think it's great. Mm, yeah. Um. So I thought, oh, there's going to be something really good here with the Fourth Doctor stuff. Um. It just felt so point- pointless. Like, there was... <laughs> I, I got nothing out of that. I'm not having to go at the writing or anything or the performance, and it's great having these characters back. But it didn't add anything to the season i think that's what me and liam found and i'd like to point out that we're not having a go at liam for deciding to add in this extra level of uh, involvement in season 18 uh thanks thanks for that mark that was almost convincing um (laughs) but uh, it was an experiment that shan't be repeated well i found it thoroughly entertaining because i don't have to obviously sit through the uh the extra content that you guys i just get to listen to you uh talking about it which is always entertaining well there you are that's a really new endorsement cloisterville <laughs> podcast better than listening to the big finish stories yeah yeah don't listen to big finish just listen <laughs> to rob and liam talking about it it's much more fun um so just uh, so going back to it, rob is just as a summing up as a uh, uh rating mm. you first mark how would you rate it so we're going to use your system of uh, good average or bad or you can How use, are we going to do it? You could use both. You could use our rating. And, I'm, I'm going to say it's yeah, good. Or, I'm going to say it's good. I'm going to say it's good. And I'm shocked. Over to you, Rob. It was good. It was a good good. As goods go, it was really good. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. Because... Do you want me to uh, elaborate or no? No. No, no that's fine. Which is fine. Yeah, I think it's good as well. I think it's a really good story. Um, and that's that. Rob. Did we get any? Uh, we had a poll, didn't we? And did, did we get any listener feedback? We got some uh, feedback on the poll itself because we're kind of breaking away from social media and trying out this polling station at the mm. minute on the website. Nothing to do with Elon Musk's um, bizarre uh, rebranding. No, 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 it just gets that. weirder and weirder every day, doesn't it? Jeez. What the hell's X? Yeah, but we used <laughs> to do Twitter polls and we didn't want to do the X polls every week. So let's, we thought we've got we've got this um, facility on the website to do this. Mm-hmm. Let's try it there. And I yeah. I don't. It's going to take a bit of time because it's a degree of separation between people seeing that we're doing a poll and then reaching yeah. the poll. So mm-hmm. there's not going to be that much engagement. But we're giving it a go. Yeah. Um, and people have went there, and some people have went there and voted. We didn't get any feedback on the website. We got some feedback on on X, though. Twitter. I'm going to carry on calling it Twitter. I refuse to call it X. Um, so we asked, how would you rate Legopolis? 57% good, 28% average, and 14% bad. What? Someone, someone genuinely thought it was bad. Wow. I would love to know something like that. Yeah. Who was that? Get in touch. Yeah, it would be interesting to know why they didn't like it. We got um, one piece of feedback, and 
I think doing the doing the website is a bit detrimental for feedback. Um, so I only just asked on socials today. You know, what do you think of it? And yeah. and Harry had said, I used to hate this one. I'm not a huge fan of this TARDIS team. Um, when I say I'm not a huge fan, I mean I don't like them. Haha. <laughs> but it's grown on me, I think. Okay, so it's all damning with faint praise. Maybe it was him who voted that he didn't like it. Could be. You know, there was the time when we'd get like dozens of feedbacks. Like sometimes I remember episodes where we had like 30 or 40 feedbacks and we were like, we can't read all these. And now I think because of, because is it, is it the Tom Baker stuff? Well, listeners have been dwindling and, uh, (laughs) I think it's, what's happening? It's a bit of a difficult time at the moment because I, you know, you get so reliant on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. I'm going to carry on calling it Twitter. Um, because you've got that community that you've spent a long time building up and you can rely on them to sort of give you feedback or do the polls and stuff. And there are several pretenders out there who are potentially vying to take over as the sort of go-to social media space, but they all have their kind of... I don't know. I really like Mastodon, but I think a lot of people are put off by the sort of onboarding, which I think they have simplified a lot since they sort of uh, had this... Yeah, I was a bit confused about all the servers. Yeah, but it, that, it really, you don't have to worry about that once you're on and you start to once you're on your own. mix with people you know, then it all kind of just levels out and it's fine. Uh, there's Blue Sky, which... I'm not too sure about Threads yet. Yeah, Threads is... It hasn't like identified itself as what it is no, yet, I think, and it's, community-wise. Yeah, it's it all still feels a bit sort of, uh, I don't know, like they're trying to put it together it feels like they rushed it a bit blue sky i find there's not that many people on it because of the the very way they're rolling it out so you have to get like an invite to go on it um so it's a bit like you know might as well just consist of uh tumbleweed gifts uh so yeah yeah i think uh it's a case of hanging on in there on Twitter for a while until something takes over. Time will tell. It always yes, does. indeed. Yeah. It's been a while since we've referenced that quote. Um, <laughs> so that's yeah. uh, the review of Logopolis. Um, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for asking me on. It's so nice having you here. It's nice and relaxing. Actually, does it turn? It's probably the best sounding podcast we've ever done. I have a friend at work who um, really rates my podcast. She says that she falls asleep within minutes of it starting. So uh, that's. <laughs> I'm not sure whether to take that as a compliment or or what, but uh, yeah. So, Mark, uh, just for for our listeners, um, just uh, remind them of the name of your podcast and where they can find you. Yeah, thanks, Liam. Uh, it's All of Time and Space, and we're on all the usual places, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, yeah, just search for All of Time and Space. So in a nutshell, it's me and my friend Ian, and we are watching all of Doctor Who in broadcast order. So we started with An Unearthly Child. As we were recording today, we've just published our episode on the enemy of the world and in a few weeks time we are 
just about to start recording season six. So we record a bit ahead of when we release them because I'm a bit of a one man band. So it takes me a while to get things edited how I like them. So, um, but yeah, I think our, probably our USP is that we have a wonderful revolving door of guests who come in and uh, they all have something interesting to say about the stories that we're covering. So it helps to keep it fresh. And uh, we've been very fortunate. We have some really, really great people who have uh, graced us with their presence. And uh, you guys will be joining us at some point. But because I have been a bit mental and booked way, way in advance, I think I've got people now wanting to come on for season 11, which is a bit crazy. Uh you will be on, but it may be not for a while. Please don't say it's season 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, it's funny you should say that, Rob. No, no, no. Well, thanks, uh, Rob. Uh, whenever we're looking forward to it. But if anyone hasn't listened to the podcast, really strongly recommend it. it is, it, it's a great listen. And, uh, yeah, you get some really, really good um, guests on. A lot of interesting points. And just, yeah, just a lot of fun. We have a bit of a laugh. We don't take it too seriously, but um, we all just love the show and we love talking about it. And we have a silly quiz at the start and we do recommendations of things that we've been enjoying. And yeah, it's just fun. And the listeners are brilliant. You know, um, we have a nice little uh, community there and it's uh, it's great. And one of the best running guys well, on the podcast. Uh, yeah, the mileage may vary on that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ian will be thrilled that you've said that. Yeah. <laughs> If you ever stop doing it, it'll be that's something I'll just stop listening. Uh, it's what fits the podcast. Ah, uh, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, th- uh, thanks, Mark. Um, so just a quick reminder for for listeners: uh, Rob and I will be taking a little bit of a break um, from the podcast. We just need to uh, get alive and um, <laughs> no, just get over season. You need to get over season eighteen. Uh, we will be back later on the year, well in advance of the 60th anniversary, but we have a few stories that we would like to review beforehand. A mixture of classic Doctor Who and uh, New Who as well, and then all leading up to the 60th anniversary. Um, but it'll probably be a month, maybe a little bit more off before we come back. Yeah, we'll come back all refreshed. Um, Mark, anything you'd like to change about the podcast? What, my podcast? Or your podcast? No, but this one. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. I think I think we need to change up a few things. Um, well, I mean, it's... I think you know what I'm gonna. This very moment, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna take our logo and theme tune and just put it in the recycling bin. <gasps> wow, sacrilege! It's done. Oh my gosh! Um, Eve recycling bin as well. Wow, that's the end. Oh my god! But the moment has been prepared for. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Don't know what we're going to replace it with, but uh, <laughs> it's done. Well, it's nice that you've thought ahead there, Rob. That's good. Um, I don't know. I've I've got a guitar here, but I can't play it. But you want to have a word with Harry Whitley before he starts, you know, jetting off all over the place. Mm. Any thoughts, Liam? Yeah, I think so. If we could do something a bit radiophonic. Like the 60s radio, uh, radio from the workshop. I think that would be quite nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, once again, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, thanks, Rob. And thanks to the listeners. And we will be back later on in the Bye bye. See you then. The tide is close to Bill. Imminent disaster. 
The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.